Hello and welcome back to Onto the Ball. I'm Scott Nickel and I'm joined as always by Travis Morgan and James O.B. O'Brien to talk about the weekend's football, the results, the disappointment, the elation and of course we're going to start with today's big news that Liverpool owners FSG are selling up allegedly. Who knows what this means O.B. They're inviting offers... You could say for four billion pound, every club in the world is up for sale, not just Liverpool. So, is this news today? Is it sound bites? Is it something we've already always known, or are we for sale? Are we going to get bought out by oil barons and start spending two hundred million every summer like Man United? <laughs> That's a good opening gambit. I love that. Um... It's really interesting, isn't it? And I think there's more to the story. I think we're being set up for something in the coming days or weeks where somebody is probably in advanced talk. Um, I noticed that they've obviously um, that they've put together a deck, a sale deck and all this sort of thing. So it says to me that they're probably further down the line and they're releasing at this point in time. Um, they wouldn't put it up for sale if it didn't have someone who's interested. They mentioned in the statement as well that they had um, a, a number of previous interested buyers. So for them to suddenly go, well, actually, okay, we are selling now, that says to me that they got somebody interested or a group of people interested or multiple um, multiple different bids going on. And then it's just a case of they're just going to pick the biggest one and they know the number's going to be $4 billion, $5 billion, whatever it, it chooses to be. And then uh, they'll sell up, get out, and and they've made the money for something that they bought for three hundred million in two thousand and eleven. So uh, that's not bad business by any stretch of the imagination. Um, what it means for the club, if it's somebody with a lot of uh, disposable income and they want to make an immediate splash, it might mean there's a two hundred million pound uh, there for the January transfer window. Um, I think we all know where that would go um, within the team. Um, Half of Bellingham. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or, or maybe the prediction that we made some weeks ago that Bellingham right on the way is uh, going to come to fruition with an oil baron that Scott <laughs> called a couple of weeks ago. So there you go. Um, maybe maybe it wasn't so pie in the sky. Trav, how are you, mate? How are you since the news came out? Obviously, you had a bit of a meltdown in the group chat. So I, know, <laughs> I know it's hit you hard and it's probably the worst news you could have had following a defeat. Uh, an awful defeat to Man uh, Aston Villa, which we'll get on to yeah. later. But are you okay, mate? Did you go home and have a hug off your missus to try and make yourself feel better? Yeah, I needed it to be fair after <laughs> such a shambolic performance yesterday. We just went at it um, at all, which we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into later in the show. But in terms of the Liverpool, um, this them putting it up for sale, I'm not 100% sure what to make of it. I know we had a little bit of bants in the group chat and stuff, but. Is it going to be shareholders? They're going to sell some of the shares. Is it going to be a complete sale? I'm sure we'll know more over the coming weeks. The um, thing is, what what does shareholders mean, Ob? Because I know we're putting the group chat today. I don't know if you've seen it as well, uh, Trav. But we sold eleven percent, was it, to Red Media or something? And they yeah. used that. They used that seven hundred. What was it? Seven hundred fifty million to buy an ice hockey team. So if they, let's say they sold 40%, so they're still the majority shareholders, would they take that money and run it? Like how, that wouldn't benefit Liverpool at all, would it? It has to be a pretty much outright sale. 
And then you've got to hope that whoever's buying it for the circa four billion pounds to invest. They're not mortgaging it for four billion pounds and they're actually, yeah, investing to win to to play fantasy yeah. football and finance as bankrollers. Absolutely. The last thing we want is to be in a Man United situation that they've got with the Glazers where somebody invests in the club but actually puts the debt against the club because I think financially, I don't think that's viable. I don't think it's good for Man United and it certainly wouldn't be good for us. Um, it looks it, it looks to me as if somebody's interested and I don't know who it is. Um, Twitter's gone crazy today. I don't know if you've seen some, some yeah. of the rumours about people who might be might be interested and who John Henry's had dinner with in the last three, four, five weeks. It's just absolutely berserk. Um, who has he had dinner he's with? He's been in Abu Dhabi, hasn't he? Anyone yeah, you know? he's been in Abu Dhabi. Any shakes? Everybody. So, any shakes? So any rich Arab princes? Well, one of them is the... I don't I don't know the name of the guy. Um, I can't remember his name. Does it come to spring to mind? The guy who owns the Mercedes Formula One team... Um, and there's a few other people, and they're all billionaires. And it's basically he had dinner with him the other week, and you don't want to get into that speculation. I think they know that that type of speculation will go about. That's why it leads me to think the timing of today's announcement is definitely a point of there's something happening. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to do something with it, and it's probably going to move quite quickly. And it's just a case of making sure it's in the public eye so that Liverpool fans. Don't go mad and go, you've sold the club and you haven't spoke to us first. No, um, OB, OB, get, get involved in the speculation. Let's fan the flames. Let's whip everyone up into a frenzy <laughs> and get excited and, and e- worry Elon, Trav. E- Elon Musk. Elon Musk <laughs> was the best one I saw today. Absolutely amazing. And somebody on Twitter put that with Locates on the front of our as our main sponsor. I just thought, oh my God, you know what I mean? What is that? Let's but, go. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think that the interesting thing is, is is that it can go a number of ways, can't it? I mean, you look at like Chelsea and they were forced into new ownership. Um, in terms of their investment pattern, like you said, it, it remains to be seen as to what they're going to do, how much they're going to invest. But I can't see them being like a Manchester City type where it's just more or less infinite funds, sort of when when as and when they need it, sort of thing. I think they still have to be fairly strategic in the way they, they spend money. I mean, financial fair play... Well, it depends, doesn't it, Trav? It depends just how rich they are. Yeah, absolutely. If you're rich and, enough, and you get point, around it with your, your and, dodgy sponsorship and to, deals and yeah. money-washing, sports-washing, what they call it. Absolutely. To, to that point, um, Newcastle owners are 10 times richer than the Man City owners. So, in theory, they could swallow them. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of rumours going around about Chinese investors, Indian investors, and both would be up there with that type of level of investment that we've seen in Man City and Newcastle and and PSG abroad. And that type of money is swelling around. And, and potentially, it could be somebody who's a little bit left field. It might not be Middle Eastern money. It could be money from, from the Far East. It could be money from India. And it could make a massive difference. The club is well supported out in that, in that part of the world as well, much like Man United are. He's got so, shit, um, isn't he? I can see it. He's got oh, in me. I, I wish I could afford it. You know, <laughs> and, but, but, but to that point, maybe, maybe FSG are looking at it going, maybe the club have outgrown them. You know what I mean? And they're going to themselves. We can't financially compete, stay in yeah. the top four. Well, they have, the, like the, you the, say, yeah. they have yeah. because, of, because of the Red Sox. 
and now this what is it the ice hockey Philadelphia something yeah don't care they, they, they will <laughs> risk the wrath of them supporters if they throw in half a billion to Liverpool so they've either got to share it around between all their franchises or they don't bother and the answer is they don't bother so we're yeah. self-sufficient we generate our own funds and that's why we are where we are. So and we're so much idea. bigger. We're so much bigger than any other franchises as well. Oh, and I hate to refer to the club as a franchise. It absolutely riles me. But ultimately, that's the way the Americans will look at it. American owners will look at it, and, and ultimately, we have out probably outgrown FSG as a, as an organization, and therefore they're going. Look, we could cash in now, make a load of money, and do whatever we need to do, and stay state stateside with supporters who are probably going to be less high maintenance, dare I say, as well, because there's a lot of anti-FSG stuff going around on, on, and it has been for quite some time. So maybe they're thinking, we can go, we'll make our money, we can just move on, do our own thing and be more accepted in America. We've learned a lesson or we can look for new territories or whatever and go elsewhere. Yeah, and just to elaborate on um, OB's point, I actually agree. I think there'll be no shame in them moving on as well. I think they've generally they've they've been of great service to Liverpool. They've ensured that you've been able to compete at the top of, of the Premier League, which you've not done, do you know what I mean, since for how long? Since the eighties, you know what I mean? You you've won your first title under their ownership. You've competed for numerous Champions Leagues under their ownership and quite recently you've had some of the best players in the world being developed under one of the greatest managers the Premier League's ever seen. So I don't think they're gonna walk away ashamed or I don't think anybody can say there's any like bad timing with it. What's triggered it is maybe the reasons that you've both given. The fact that, like you said, Man City can more or less sustain that that ability to challenge and compete at the top year on year on year. And like you said, the fact that Liverpool have been so close quite recently in recent years, like you said, it might have made everybody a little bit hungry. Like, what's the next plan? How can we break that mould? How can we sort of break that cycle? And I think that's the challenge for everybody. Man City are like the Man United of the 90s. You know what I mean? Nobody could really not compete with them per se, but like they were the, they were the big team that was winning everything all the time. And it's how you break that. Do you know what I mean? And I think Liverpool have been the closest to like consistently breaking that pattern. And there were other teams sort of emerging now who are who are trying their utmost. But like you said, it it ultimately boils down to money, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? The the more money you spend and the better strength and depth you have, the more competitive you generally are. I mean, if you think of the I was gonna call it the loft conversion as Everton fans call it, you think about the new stand that they've built and now they're they're doing the second stand, they're basically feather the feather in their own nest, which shows to me, OB, they were never here to stay. Because they had a choice to either spend three, four hundred million developing the ground or three or four hundred million on the squad to keep competing. And all they've done is they've bought the detached house, they put a garage on a double garage on the side, a conservatory on the back, a loft conversion. They've just increased their holding and now they're looking to get out and, and it's bearing fruit, which to me, uh, you know where I stand. I'll be happy to see them go. I said today in the group, and I weren't joking, we're only on this planet for another 40 years, if we're lucky. Hopefully a little bit longer, if, if you stay fit. I want to. I just want to compete. I just want to compete. I'll be lucky if I last number 10. <laughs> the last, 10 last 10 minutes of a game yesterday, it <laughs> about six years. 
<laughs> yeah, it was tough, wasn't it? My little heart was banging. Kept saying, yeah, "Tribe, yeah. another minute ticked off, another minute." Yeah, um, but yeah, it's been a bit of a mixed response today on social media. I've watched a few of the other podcasts and and listened to it, and it is a mixed response. And as Trav just says, in some ways, FSG have been good for Liverpool. The the they've done us good, not least in luring Jurgen Klopp, giving him the platform, but also as Ob says, I think we've outgrown them, and it just proves where they are. They're not here for the next fifty years. It was a business, an investment that's that's gone right that they've harnessed and built and they're cashing in. And I just hope it goes to the, the right seller. Someone who's a little bit wacky, someone who wants to, like Man City, spend loads of money, win lots of titles, rule Europe, you, rule the world. And there could be some fun times ahead. That is the dream, isn't it, for all the fans, like to get that kind of investor and like you said, there's no guarantees. I don't. It is very mixed. I've looked on Twitter today. I've seen a few polls and a few comments from a lot of Liverpool fans saying that they provided a good service. Not necessarily gutted that they're going, but at the same time, like the grass isn't always greener. So it's going to be an interesting few weeks, next couple of months, to see how it develops. Like you said, it could be worrying times for somebody like myself if you do get one of those investors and you start splashing the cash. And building a Galactico version of Liverpool. You've started a petition, haven't you, Day Trav, on change.org I certainly to stop this me. going through. Flipping <laughs> out, I'm not that invested in your club. <laughs> yeah, you are. I suppose, I suppose as well, it's got an interesting twist from a, from a Manchester United perspective that, that you're still in that cycle of the Glazers. I don't know where you are with getting out of it. And it's the one thing that I've always been a little bit I mean, I don't feel sorry for Man United fans on very many things, yeah. you probably guess, but it's the one thing where I think that's an institution that's being ruined in a very negative way. And I do feel for the supporters when it comes to the owners who are, I don't think, treating the club in the right way. Um, they're not. They're, they're the custodians of the club and they're letting, I think they let the fans down. I think that they're putting them, the, the club into debt unnecessarily and it makes them less of a sellable option. So I, I saw a thing today saying that Man United would be worth around, well, a little bit more than Liverpool, whatever Liverpool would reach. Yeah, probably about a half a, million or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if the debt's, if the debt's 800 million against it, the value isn't the same. So mm. in actual fact, you'd actually be buying the club for the same amount of money or roughly the same amount of money. And it's just, um, it's that type of thing with a, with a less, um, modern stadium that hasn't been looked after as well and hasn't been the investment into it and um, they're not in the same position although they're doing a little bit better this season where Liverpool are with, with the players they probably haven't got the they've got a good manager now but whether he's the yeah. right one it's, 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 they're a step or two away in every way yeah. the recruitment hasn't been as good the last few years and it's like it, it feels like there's a point where Man United are going to have to do something as well and yeah. whether the Glaciers are willing to do it, I think if it goes through and we ended up with a someone who's going to inject an awful lot of money, I think very quickly, down the East Lanks Road, I think it's going to have a lot of, a lot of knock-on effects for, for Man United and the fans will become very, very restless really quickly. Oh, it's already annoyed a few United fans today, just like saying, oh, look, Liverpool are acting, we've still got the same owners. You can see there's been a really negative reaction amongst sections of the fan base so yeah i can totally echo what you're saying it could be quite damaging if you if you're 
sale goes the, the way you want it to go in terms of an investor. And it'll put you in a really powerful position, especially if Klopp stays and he's part of the plan and, and, and this is all calculated and premeditated. If he's part of that, so to speak, rebuild again, where you go and spend a couple of hundred million over a couple of seasons and Klopp builds another powerful squad, then it's going to put you in a really strong position again, without a doubt. Okay. Say more things like that. I'm loving this. This <laughs> ain't what I signed up for, mate. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a right. That's the genuine. Genuinely, genuinely, I did plan that. I did plan to say that, but it, it's true. It is, it is yeah. really, really important, and it will impact on all of these other teams. And I think it eventually will come down to teams like Spurs and that as well, um, where they're going to have to reinvest more money and not have a player and not have managers like Conte who's going to want to play quite negatively. But there you go. I'm a little, one last thing before we probably move on or whatever, but I'm a little bit worried in the sense of the direction that, not the Premier League's going in, so to speak, but do you know, I think there's quite a few Americans wanting to invest in the league. Like they're already thinking about next pre-season setting up a tournament between the big six. Have you heard about that? Yeah. So it's just the way... The way that it's going is just all this American investment and just trying to make it so much more box office than it already is. You know what I mean? With the TV rights and the amount of money that the Premier League makes in itself, I'm just worried about the direction in terms of the divide from those other clubs. I mean, if Newcastle, let's be honest, if Newcastle weren't didn't get an investor they wouldn't be able to compete with the likes of Tottenham, Liverpool, United, Chelsea. And the, the, I would think the the divide between the big six and the rest of the league would get even bigger if other investors didn't invest in clubs like Newcastle and stuff. So we'll just have to see how it pans out. But I'm quite worried from a financial sense in, in terms of football in this country. What does make me laugh is Man United fans never used to uh, moan about the financials in the 90s. When they were spending big and they were on top, so uh, yeah. yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah, they just be like, <laughs> yeah, they just be like, it's not my money, I don't care. All exactly. of a sudden, Fergie leaves and it's Glazers out. Yeah, yeah, no, you got a point. Yeah. You got a point. Right, that's enough for the financial section of the show. On to the ball, Ob. <laughs> Yesterday, Liverpool, we looked vintage. Wow. Um, what a first half! It was an, an adrenaline shot. And it, obviously, it's frustrating that we can't play every minute of every game like that. You just don't know what Liverpool you're going to get. But that first half was pretty special. Um, it sounds silly saying vintage Salah when he's only 30. But that was literally like the Salah of 17-18 when he scored a couple against Roma past Allison in the Champs League quarterfinal, was it? Or semi-final? Just yeah. dinking it over the keeper. Deft finish. Um, long may it continue. Trav, our season started yesterday. You're back again. <laughs> back the eighth time, I love it. <laughs> the, 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 the thing was with Salah yesterday, he was cold, weren't he? He was just ice cold and everything he did. Um, the finish for the second goal was just astonishing. Um, to take it at that pace, and I think um, they talked about it in the punditry afterwards. I think it was Sooners kept them going, look at what he does and the pace he's taking the ball at and every touch is perfect. He made he made a very good keeper look stupid as well when he lobbed him because he, he he went out like that and he just dinked it over him like it was nothing. Um, really really good. Um, I was happy for Nunes to get a good assist. I thought it was a really strong assist that made the finish for the first goal look first, easy. Yeah. 
Um, Him and Salah we, seem we, to be building up this bromance. But yeah, absolutely. But don't you think? I mean, one of the the most important things that happened in the early part of that game was Conte, who is well known for his tactical nouns and having this ability to get the tactics right in these big, big games. He got it absolutely shockingly wrong, putting Emerson Royale down that side and leaving him two-on-one with Andy Robertson, who was fantastic and marvellous and causing all sorts of problems, and Darwin Nunes, who has got pace to absolute burn. And they just never recovered. And as good as Tottenham were in the second half, Liverpool were just... That was like red rag to a bull. It was so easy for us at points. Trent was hitting brilliant crossfield balls. We'll talk about his defensive lapses later. Um, but his crossfield balls were fantastic. We were just getting into space. It's like we knew what they were going to do and we just executed it perfectly. And um, it was really, really good to see. And what was really good to see was it was two sides to Liverpool as well. It was the first half where we dominated. We were all over them. We made the right decisions on the pitch all the way through. And when Tottenham came out as hard in the second half and they got an early goal and you're all going, oh, here we go. The really important thing was off the ball, I thought we worked hard with possibly one exception. And that was Trent, who seemed positionally all over the place again yesterday. Yeah. Um, I really thought that defensively off the ball, Canate was just immense. Yeah. And there was a Tottenham fans um, speaking to me at work today and he was going... What a player he is. He goes, for me, he's going to be better than Van Dyke. I really believe that. And it was just like, it was one of them breakout performances for the guy. He won everything. He read everything. He was in the right place at the right time. But the whole team worked really, really well off the ball. We were compact. We were tight. Um, we rolled our luck a little bit against a good attacking team, especially towards the end. But for me, we, we edged the game. Um, we did enough in the first half to get ourselves in that position. And it was just good to see so many good performances all over the pitch. Um, and and there's, there's so much more to come, isn't there? There's so much more to come for this team. If we put together a 90-minute performance against anybody, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to do well and we're going to win that football game. I hope so. Uh, me and Trav kept saying on the live stream yesterday, the watch-along, Konate is just a man-mountain. He's a beast. Um, like you say, he didn't put a foot wrong. Van Dijk even looked more composed with him next to him, which it's normally the other way around. Defenders look better next to Van Dijk, but it was the opposite. Yeah. If anything, Van Dijk looked more settled. We can touch on Joe Gomez. He's not getting back in. Not if Kanate stays fit. Matip will be in before him. Um, but yeah, like you say, the first half, it was just vintage Liverpool. And you, we've got to be starting games like that more often because... We've had so many games this season where we're a goal down inside 10 minutes. There was no chance of that on Sunday. And the thing that impressed me most, I kept mentioning in the live stream to Trav, was I kept saying we've got to manage this game out the last 20 minutes like Arsenal did against Chelsea. Just total control. Yeah. It wasn't total control like Arsenal had, but it, it, we'd done enough. We got over the line. Okay. Uh, maybe a month ago or before the Man City win, <laughs> we'd have drew that two each or maybe even lost it 3-2. I think yeah, the game absolutely. should have been out of sight, really. To be honest, I think you were tuning up and it, you should have probably made it three before they even scored, I think. Um, I think, like you said, you were in total control. I, Spurs reminded me, I said it before, in terms of how the, we were, they were going to set up in the preview. And I think it's always a dangerous game at home, sort of sitting in, allowing 
good opposition to dictate the play against you and hoping that you nick it and you want to shut up shop. And I think that's what Tottenham sort of did in terms of the way they approached the game. They just let... I wouldn't say, They just gave Liverpool too much respect. Um, just let you dictate the play, dictate the tempo. And we said in the preview, in the pre-match, that clock needed to just go back to time. Going back to the 4-3-3 with Fabinho in there and two midfielders, Thiago was just controlling the tempo of the game. I think Tottenham just struggled to like get close enough to you when they needed to. Like you said, with the first goal, Salah just had acres of room, really. It's a great ball from Nunes, but to have that much room in the box, don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything away from the finish. The finish was fantastic. Just a little snapshot in the corner. Luis, no chance. But the room he got was quite alarming. And then the second goal came from a dire mistake. Again, an unbelievable finish from Salah, but... You can't build on a game if your team are just making mistakes. And and we've been saying this, Tottenham have been poor in some games and have been getting away with it. The Newcastle game they lost at home just before the Liverpool game as well. So they've got their own issues. I know they came back against Marseille, but they haven't been playing well for quite some time. And I watch a couple of Tottenham-like fan cams and stuff, and, and they've been quite disappointed with the way that they've been approaching games and stuff. But... No, without a doubt, Liverpool took full advantage of that and were full value for the three points. I thought they deserved it. Like you said, they had to dig in at times. But you, you'd you expect that away from home against the big team. Do you know what I mean? It's, you're not ever going to go all the way through 90 minutes without having to concede some chances or having some defending to do. I thought Alisson flapped at a few things. He looked a little bit nervous at times, just... Not really as decisive as he normally is in in the way that he deals with things. But like you said, that Canate and Van Dijk partnership, if they can build that up over the next few games after the World Cup and really start to consolidate that and Fabinho gets back to form, I think them three are going to be key for you. If you're going to get back into the top four, them three staying fit and playing well will give you that defensive solidarity going forward because I think you've got the rest of the components there. Yeah, absolutely. Just just a a quick point. Just a quick point um, on um, the midfield. He seems to be persisting with Harvey Elliott as well. <clears throat> and that's really interesting. So whether Henderson's carrying something or whether he thinks that Elliott's good in these games where there's points of a game where we haven't got the ball as much. And positionally, Elliott has got the legs without necessarily having the pace. But Elliot does seem to be really, really strong when we haven't got the ball. And positionally, he's in very good spaces. And he makes it very difficult for teams to break us down. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting that Klopp's kind of identified that in a young player and gone, I'm going to keep you in. Because although he's been flicking about with a few of the other players, Elliot is always in the team. Yeah. He's first choice and now, it, isn't he? Ahead of Henderson. He is. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting and because he does lack a little bit of pace. But he seems to be quite calm on the ball in tight spaces when he's got the ball. When off the ball, defensively, he seems to take up really good positions, which Klopp seems to like, and he seems to be favouring him at the moment, which is just an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, I was just about to say, like it was a perfect time to play Spurs with their injury problems. Son was out, Kulisevsky, Richarlison still out. Um, but like Trav said, of course, when you're away to the big six, they're going to get chances. They did get chances. We held firm, got the three points in the end. Um, but yeah, Spurs, they've not been playing well at all, have they? They went 2-0 down to Bournemouth as well, was it? I know they won it 3-2. Yeah. Marseille, yeah. They, they were behind, as you said. 
and yeah i'm just glad to get another tough away day chalked off get the three points get our first away game uh, away win of the season was nice and yeah. it's on to southampton now so hopefully get another three they're managerless now after today's news and then it could be could be sitting pretty heading into the the much maligned world cup and this yeah. pre-season break for the the big reset i think it was a, i think it was a big three points for liverpool as well especially with United getting beat, Chelsea getting beat in the same um, day. I think he made up some valuable ground on on the top four race. Definitely, um, I think it was an important, a big morale boosting win as well. Because it, Klopp will watch the videos, he'll look back at it, and and he'll be pleased with the performance overall. I don't think there was ever a time where Tottenham had the chances in the end, but like you said, I don't think he really looked like you were going to lose the game at any point. And I think that's testament to the way that you performed, really. You really turned up on the day, started well, which was the key, and and you built on that, and, and it was a good three points for Liverpool. On we go. Everyone mm. feels great. Good day at work, OB? All happy? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really busy at the moment, but yeah, it was good for a Monday. It's a really <laughs> difference to your mood, doesn't it, when you're team It with... does, yeah, absolutely. It's easier to have them conversations, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Where people go, how was your weekend? Yeah, it's all right. And you know that they support a team that have lost the game yeah. and you've won it. And <laughs> you, you don't want to be the first person to go, so let's talk about football. Yeah. You just smile at them and they go, go on, you know. And Dark contrast for me, mate. So you've had a crap day at work, Trav. A crap oh. night's sleep. Down yeah. in the dumps. Can't wait to get home on a Monday. And then the news drops that Liverpool are getting bought out by a rich shake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Compounded it, mate. I mentioned it, it on the what? yeah I mentioned it on the stream yesterday when you read out the Man United team, um, Ronaldo captain. After he stormed down the tunnel before the end of the game a couple of weeks ago, making him captain was that a mistake by Hag? Did that contribute so. anything think... to do with the the result? Yeah, I think it's a mistake when you look at it in hindsight like that. I, I, because I don't think Ronaldo's set the best examples from pre-season through to now, to be fair. The thing is, he, he sort of lives off the respect that he's, he's got from certain sections of the fan base and a lot of the younger players at the club will still look up to him due to his achievements in football only on a general basis. But in terms of his second spell at United, I know he scored goals last year. It's not really gone according to plan. And when I say plan... I mean, from a club perspective, like it, we haven't really built on last year with him being a focal point of the team. We've got a new manager. Oli didn't, I don't. I think Oli played Ronaldo, but I don't think he was part of his plans. He always loved Cavani before we purchased Ronaldo. Cavani was his player. He used Greenwood and Martial and a few others that he liked over Ronaldo. And Ronaldo was bought purely to stop him going to Man City. So like you said, for him... From him being sanctioned, dropped from the Chelsea game to being captain three games later is is quite a bizarre one. But in Ten Hag's defence, not total defence, but the, the only thing I can think of as to why he's done it is because obviously Bruno's vice-captain to Maguire. Maguire was left out. And in terms of senior leaders, a lot of the players still look up to Ronaldo. So I think it's just an easy decision. Maybe he thought it might deflect some of the media attention in terms of 
oh, is he my player? Do you still fancy him? Is he still involved from that perspective? But what it did was it magnified and intensified the pressure on Ten Hag because it's like, well, it's for exact the exact reasons that you gave. He's been sanctioned, he's had to be disciplined, and then that yet you're making him captain a couple of games later. What's sort of going on with that situation? I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Ronaldo needed to go in the summer. I think this will definitely be his last season and he's one of the reasons, not the main reason or the problem like a lot of the fan base like to say, but I think he's one of the main reasons as to why things aren't quite clicking up up top for us. Um, was it a sign of weakness, do you think, OB? Would you say it was a sign of weakness, a bit a bit lick-ass of Ten Hag to make Ronaldo captain? Did he not have the, the balls to give it to Lissandro Martinez, which I've been saying for weeks, he's the, the next captain for sure? The heartbeat of a team, isn't he? And for me, right, it's never about one captain. You think about great teams, and it's a team full of captains and a team full of leaders. And it probably highlights something in United, whereas they haven't got enough leaders on the pitch at certain points. It was always something that was pushed towards Oli, all these teams. Um, and I don't think they've necessarily got the leaders. I think Martinez would be a really good leader. Um, he, he's a he's a natural leader in the way he behaves on the pitch. Um, but apart from that, I struggle to see a lot of leaders in that team. I really do. Mm-hmm. And um, when there's a couple of injuries, it's clearly not the, the depth of leader in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't like centre forwards being captain anyway, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And because um, they don't see enough of the game, hmm. they, they don't see enough of the game. I like a midfielder or a defender or even a goalkeeper over a, a forward. Um, Ronaldo's a great individual in a team sport. He's a he always has been. Um, will he be thinking about the, the the best of the team, or will he be thinking about himself trying to score goals and get into the best position? Most strikers are selfish by their very uh, nature, and that's what makes him so good. I, I think 100%. I think it should have gone someone at the back and Martinez would have been the right one. Yeah. It's, it's this, a different subject, but I always think that about Kane being the England captain. I, I don't yeah. agree with it. Uh, Trav, David De Gea, for me, he should have done better with the first and second goal. Hmm. Interesting one. Um, yeah, I think maybe the free kick, the first one comes at him and I think that we had ample opportunities to stop that at source before he even gets to that point. The ball goes in on the halfway line and Lindelof sort of show like the right distance, but he just sort of follows him and allows him to turn and come inside. And it was just so easy for him to do that. You've got to either foul him or, I mean, OB shaking his head, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was Lindelof doing? There was no need to do that. And in a way, game early on, Charge into midfield for no apparent reason. I watched I watched the extended highlights and I was just thinking, that's exactly what you don't want to do where the crowd are up. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're looking for an opportunity and he's got carried away and he was never going to win that ball in midfield. No. He just It's like he had a head rush and he just charged in and he put the whole team under pressure by doing it and the space was just in behind then. It was so easy to do, Trav. It really was. The thing is with Man United... This is the weird thing about Man U. Man, where Man U fail is like individually, physically, attribute-wise, we struggle a lot. So the example I'm trying to give, when Varane's out, we literally can't win a foot race against most strikers in the league. Like 
for example, Ollie Watkins and flipping um, Leon Bailey, we made them look like R9 and Romario from the Brazilian World Cup team. Like, it literally, <laughs> all we did was pushed it past Lindelof or pushed it past Martinez, and we just couldn't keep up with them. So it's like, you can have whatever shape you want, you can be defensively sound as a unit, but if individually you can't win a foot race with someone or somebody stronger than you, and I just feel when Varane's out or when Varane and Martinez don't play as a pair, we struggle. Do you know what I mean? Balls down the sides from Villa just killed us constantly yesterday. And I think if a couple work early on, you get encouragement, don't you? You could see that happen. The, from the first goal, when Leon Bailey scored, which was a decent finish, like you said, De Gea may have should, should have done better. But constantly throughout the first half and the second half, there was just balls in the channel between the full-back and the centre-back. And it was like Lindelof trying to keep up with people in, in, in wide areas, just looking really out of sorts, really out of position. And he's just not comfortable defending wide. He's decent on the ball, decent ball-playing centre-half. But when it comes to defending in wide areas, stopping the balls across the box, covering the near post he is, he is literally shocking. And I think a lot of players just had a shock yesterday. I think the balance of the midfield didn't work either. We had Casemiro and Eriksen who have been playing, but Eriksen's played a lot of football and he just looked a bit leggy. And then you had Van de Beek in there. You're not sure if he's a cam. You're not sure if he's a, is a third-man midfielder. Not sure he if just, he's a footballer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, just, it just didn't work. The, the whole setup yeah. didn't work. Um, for me and then if you looked at the front line as well we had Rashford who it's quite well documented he doesn't work on the right but we played Garnacho, so we put the more experienced one out of position thinking it would give Garnacho the best possible chance and Rashford just wasn't involved in the game at all so really you've got Ronaldo who's static Rashford not involved in the game Van der Beek non-existent then you've got a centre-half who can't run you, you, you're playing with seven players, unfortunately, do you know what I mean? And then if those seven players aren't all playing well, it's no wonder we got packed in very comfortably by a Villa side who I didn't think were amazing on the day. They just outrun us, outfought us, just a lot more physical than us and bullied us and we couldn't deal with it. The thing is that Lindelof is your, your Dejan Lovren, isn't he? He's got Jose sacked, he's got Oli sacked, he's got Rangnick sacked in a way. <laughs> So, of course, he's not going to be giving it a tune to uh, Ten Hag. So, it is difficult to haul him over the coals when he's not even Ten Hag's choice. He'd probably have him out of the club yeah. by now if he could. Yeah, but, mm. yeah, but you say don't haul him over the coals, right? He's a professional footballer in the Premier League, uh, a club like Man United. Yeah. Now, there's nothing that he should have done. He, in his mind, he should be going, I can't do this at this point. I'm not yeah. going to get there. I'm going to put the whole defence out of shape. I'm going to set the, a bad tone for the whole rest of the game. Now, in his head, he should be thinking that. He should be thinking that. And it's about having a football brain. What he did was he put his team under pressure, give the other, goal, uh, other team a goal start, and, and basically put his team on the back foot and allowed people to be put under pressure if they weren't performing well. If United don't concede early, don't concede that first goal, yeah. it then goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the game. The crowd goes quiet and you manage it through. And that's, yeah. why, that's why he has to leave the club, Obi. Like yeah, Dejan Lovren, he's just not good. You look at the third goal as well. Like the ball gets played into Watkins, and he's running. Must be about forty-five yards out. He's running at him, and Lindelof just backs off, backs off, backs off until he gets into the box. No challenge. I'm like, just yeah. if you if you're not comfortable, just foul him outside the box and defend yeah. the set piece. Like, why are you letting him get into the box? Yes, fair enough. 
the the cutback's not marked by any of the midfielders. But the tone's sort of set, like, your centre-half's just letting a striker just run into the box and pick a pass. Like, you're not even trying to cut the cutback off either. You're not trying to cut the pass out. So I'm like, if you're not going to tackle and you're not going to stop the cutback from going coming into the box, you're just a passive defender. Like, you're, you're no use in the ornament. Do you know what I mean? So we had absolutely no use. And I just think it was a really bad day at the office. Nobody turned up for us yesterday. I think only Martin has really gone up to can walk away with a head held high in terms of effort. But the quality was poor. We started badly. We didn't recover from it. The goal came from a deflection. And I think everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. And the substitutions from Ten Hag as well, a little bit questionable, um, maybe not done them early enough. And we didn't have players that could come on and really impact the game, especially with the players that we had missing, like Anthony Sancho, Martial's just coming back to fitness. So, we, yeah, I think, again, it, it was looking like we were on a really good positive run, but a couple of results and all of a sudden, I think we do need the World Cup with players dropping like flies. Playing <laughs> Thursday, Sunday again, like, this is the third the, week. The big reset, we're all on a big reset. <laughs> We've got another Thursday, Sunday. We play Thursday in the EFL Cup and then Sunday away at Fulham, which is another tricky tie again. Like, we're not, there's no let up with the ease of these fixtures at all. Yeah. It's just like, they're just coming thick and fast, mate. Honestly, we really do need the World I Cup. Think, I yeah. think I shared, I shared with you earlier the, uh, that, that playoff yeah. situation and then games that you've got in February. And that's brutal. And it's like yeah. that Thursday, Thursday night cup is causing you. A lot of problems, isn't it? It really is now. Now that you didn't win the group, you've got an extra two games to play against Barcelona. Who, who knows where they'll be come February time? And mm-hmm. then you've got a load of games to manage through. And when you're challenging for the top four, and it, and on top of that, you're going to potentially have tired players from World Cup, and it, it's going to be tough for you. It really is, Trav. To be what? fair, to the be fair, I don't want to. Sorry, Trav. Just, no, no, just to set you up. I don't want to help you out here, and obviously you've ridiculed me about the whole injuries and that, but obviously you did. You had a, a whole front three out. You had Bruno out. Was he ill or not suspended? You had Varane, your best centre-back. Mm. So that just shows what can happen when half your team are out. And yeah. obviously I've uh, sung chapter and verse about Liverpool having the injury problems, but mm. I do have a little bit of sympathy for you. I know you've ridiculed me about the whole injuries in Liverpool, but how damaging yeah. was that defeat away to Villa, who are really struggling there down there? What yeah. Will that, what will that mean for Ten Hag's big rebuild? It was a big, big opportunity to make ground on Spurs and Chelsea dropping yesterday. And, and we normally do that where we miss out on opportunities where, where we can capitalise on other teams dropping points. It's so typical of United. And when I said we, I think we would win, but it would be tough, I just knew when we made that start, we were just going to blow it. Um, but what's filling me with hope is that the performances with the team that Ten Hag wants to play and the performances without Ten Hag's team are chalk and cheese. Do you know what I mean? The moment Varane's not in the side and we go back to Oliball, do you know what I mean? It's no coincidence. Like, when, when he's not in the team and Mar- him and Martinez aren't playing together, the performances look totally different. So I think we need to put it into perspective and say that there are going to be bumps in the road with this rebuild. It reminds- I would say, I would say um, though, that Casemiro and Ericsson were on the pitch. Yeah, we talked about the big the big players and most of them were on the pitch for you yesterday. 
Um, yeah, and but Ob, Ob, it... they're they're both in their thirties. <laughs> no, no, this isn't me deflecting. There was absolutely no excuse for us to put the level of performance in. If the level of performance was top draw and we got beat, you don't mind. But the way we performed, we were way off it, way off it. And that might be a, a, a mixture of fatigue, travel, just a few changes in the team, whatever it was. But Ten Hag was really disappointed. In his post-match, he said that he was disappointed that we were trying to sling in early crosses to Ronaldo. It wasn't part of the plan. The players weren't um, making the right choices. And he was really annoyed and said it was unacceptable. And it, But he did say that there were humans and there were due a, well, not allowed a bad day off, but he's like, you can understand why these things happen from time to time. But we've just got to go again. Like I think for the, the, the importance on the Fulham game now was cranked up. I think two defeats and a defeat going into the World Cup will leave the fans feeling really flat, thinking they just want the Premier League ball back with the World Cup on it. will be in the back of your mind. So I think we've got to go to Fulham and get three points and, and really go into the World Cup on a positive note um, and, and let that been known to the fans that that was just a bit of a one-off. Do you ever expect to see yeah. Donny van der Beek in a Man United shirt ever again? Yes, but not after this season. I think um, he's been tried through three different managers now. Went on loan at Everton. He was on the bench at Everton um, under Lampard. So it's difficult to say that four different managers are wrong about one player. Do you know what I mean? I know he cut it at Ajax, but if he's not putting it under an ex-manager, what hope have you got? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I just don't think the league's for him. I think some players um, adapt better to other leagues and perform better in other leagues. He's certainly not a bad player, um, but I just don't think he's um, either a Man U player or fit for this league. And it's a shame because I had high hopes for Donny van der Beek. Watched him a few times at Ajax under Ten Hag in the Champions League runs that they went when they got to the semi-finals and stuff. And he was a real integral, instrumental part of everything that they did. But he's just come to United and it, the first season not playing under Oli, whether that was Oli's fault or not, it, it's killed him. He's just never recovered from it. Um, but do you think that's confidence then, Travel? Do you think it's more um, just the league not being for him? Do you think his confidence has been knocked as quite a young player coming yeah. to another league and he's just, that that's done him? Certainly, Obi, yeah. But like you said, time's not your friend in football. Do you know what I mean? You've got to react quickly. And as a player, he'll be thinking about his next move. The last thing he wants to be doing is sitting on the bench for United for the next couple of years or whatever's left on his contract. His agent will be seeking out a move for him because he can't, he's missing out on the World Cup as a result of not playing. Do you know what I mean? He's, he, I can't see him getting into the squad. And, he, and he's got the quality to be doing that. So maybe, maybe it's a move back to Holland. I don't know, but... I wish him all the best. He's a good character. He's never caused a fuss in the dressing room. He's always been honest, wanted to give his all. So we'll just have to see what happens with him. But I, I can't see him making it at United. I wish you all the best, but get out of my club. It's time <laughs> to go. Right, I was going to ask you about who's back um, from injury for Fulham, but we're going to save that for Thursday night. Yeah, we'll mm. do a bit of a preview show. Man Sounds United, good. home to Fulham, is it? Away to Fulham. Away to Fulham. Again, away. We play Thursday night as well. The games okay. come thick and fast, don't they, OB, when you're not winning like Liverpool? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you won two on the spin and you're getting brave. We'll see. We'll yes. See. Well, it'll be three because uh, Southampton, we're mm. hopefully going to be patterning them up. But we'll talk about that maybe on a Thursday night. Hook yeah. up, lads, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's all, folks. Thanks for your time. Um, if you've made it this far, and I forgot to say it right at the start, if you're new to the channel, like and subscribe helps us out a lot. Come and join me, Trav and Obi on the next one, talking all things Liverpool, Man United, Premier League and Liverpool's new rich owners. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll catch up on the next Cheers. one. Cheers, Obi. Cheers, Cheers Thanks, Trav. Guys. Cheers.